Um, all right, Malachi chapter 3, you know, we're going through this study. Over and over again, God says, hey, this is a, this is a place where, you know, there's hypocrisy, where there's, where there's inconsistency. Um, and that's the, that's the com- number one complaint of the world today when it looks at the church, when it views the church. Um, you know, this past Friday night, we were, we were at the playoff game at uh, Wilson High School, and Michael's in the marching band, and uh, he plays saxophone. And so I'm sitting up there with, um, with the other band parents, and I'm just noticing all of the divisions, you know, all, all of the dichotomies that are going on. So first of all, you've, you, you enter the, the football field, and, and the immediate dichotomy is, you know, on this side are, is the guests, you know, and, you know, here are the Highlanders, and these bleachers are for the home team, and, you know, that's for the Hornets, and so you've immediately got that dichotomy going. Um, and then you, you, you just everywhere you look, there, there are divisions and, and distinctions that, that you can point out. So I'm sitting... Uh, with the band parents, and then over here are the players' parents, and they're they're all together. And then there are the the cheerleading parents, and um, and and then there are parents overall, and then there are their kids. And the two do not mix. Under no circumstances do the kids ever want to sit with their parents. And it was fun to see the kids because all the students are in their own little groups. Uh, there was one group that I was like, oh, that's interesting. Like, all of them are all wearing camouflage. You know, I know hunting season just started. They're all wearing camouflage, and you couldn't see them. Um, they were there by faith. Uh, and, and then there was another group of students, and they were, all, they, they were all boyfriend and girlfriend. All of the dating students all sat together. And, uh, and then those that weren't dating were going around roving in their they're wandering packs of feral teenagers um, throughout, up and down the sidelines and so on. And, uh, and so division after division, I mean, even when you go to the bathroom, you know, male, female. So over and over again, the world sees distinctions and divisions. God would like for the world to see a distinction between his people, the church, and the world between those who have received his love, have been adopted into his family, made his sons and daughters, have been recipients of that lavish care and kindness placed on them, and those that that don't know what that love is and therefore aren't living in light of that love. If we've received that love, we're to love because he first loved us. That's what God's trying to get at in this passage. Let's stand in honor of God's word in Malachi chapter 3, verse 13 and following. I'm going to read through uh, verse 3 of chapter 4. This is God's word. You have said harsh things against me, says the Lord. Yet you ask, what have we said against you? You have said it is futile to serve God. What did we gain? by carrying out his requirements and going about like mourners before the Lord Almighty. But now we call the arrogant blessed. Certainly the evildoers prosper, and even those who challenge God escape. And then those who feared the Lord talked with each other, and the Lord listened and heard. A scroll of remembrance was written in his presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honored his name. They will be mine says the Lord Almighty, 
In that day when I make up my treasured possession, I will spare them. Just as in, as in compassion, a man spares his son who serves him. And you will see, that you will again see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not. Surely the day is coming. It will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and every evildoer will be stubble. And that day that is coming will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. Not a root or a branch will be left to them. But for you who revere my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. And you will go out and leap like calves released from the stall. Then you will trample down the wicked. They will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I do these things, says the Lord Almighty. Father, we pray that you would bless the reading and the hearing and the receiving of your word this morning, that you would show us how you have loved us and that we would love because you first loved us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. And uh, there are outlines in your bulletins to help you kind of track where we're going. I want to begin with examining the, the, the charge that the Lord brings against his people. This has been his strategy throughout the whole book of Malachi where he says and exposes these questions that uh, the people are, are saying and asking. He says, you're asking this, you're saying this. And, and the first one, you know, he says that you have said harsh things against me. And the people are saying, well, what, you know, what do you mean? Uh, what, what have we said that's been harsh and help me understand, etc." And, uh, and go, the Lord goes on to say in verse 14, you've said it's futile to serve God. What did we gain by carrying out his requirements and going about like mourners before the Lord Almighty. You know, um, that's not an uncommon feeling for God's people. Uh, and it's, it's not rare uh, for saints in the Old Testament, New Testament, the modern age to go, you know, I don't know what is the motivation anymore. I've lost sight of the goal. And sometimes that happens to us. Uh, Paul told the Corinthians, listen, your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Don't lose sight of that. But, folks, we need to be honest. There are times when you and I wrestle with the validity of serving God. Is it worth it? Is is there any point in staying faithful? Um, This was Jesus' invitation and sensitivity to, even comprehension of our, you know, human fallen, faithless hearts, when he was telling the story of the prodigal son. Most people think of the prodigal son and, you know, immediately our minds go to the one who squandered everything and came back and he was, he was repenting, he was apologetic, and the father embraced him, right? But then what about the other son? What about the older brother who is still in the field, here's the party going on, asks the servant what's happening, says your younger brother's come back. And your father's killed the, the, the fatted cow, and he's thrown a party, and it's a feast. And what's the other older brother doing? He gets mad. He's angry. And the father comes out, and he says, listen, I want you to come in, you know, what's going on? And you know what the older brother's attitude is? It's futile to serve you. And literally, Jesus says his words are this. Look, you know, he's dressing down his dad. Look, all these years, 
I've been slaving for you, which is a real hint into what the reality of the relationship is for the brother, for this son. Sons aren't slaves, people. All these years I've been slaving for you, yet you never even gave me a, a, a young goat to celebrate with my friends. You didn't throw a party for me. And, uh, and so you can see the, the, younger bro- or the older brother's angst and ire and you know, his, his um, anger at his father. So he's saying the same thing that Malachi uh, is, is saying, that, the, that God's people are saying, it seems futile to serve you. But what is Jesus doing? When he's telling the parable of the older brother in this case, he leaves it with the father saying, look, you know, son, everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate. We had to be glad. We had to make merry because this brother of yours was lost and his family was dead and he was alive. And we're welcoming him back. And that's where Jesus leaves it. He stops. With the father's response to the older brother saying, it's futile to serve you. And the father's response is kindness. Inviting him in. Come into the party. Come into the celebration. And Jesus leaves it there because you don't know what the older brother's going to do. And it's an invitation. And it's an invitation to us when we lose sight of what it means to love our Heavenly Father. Instead, we start thinking that what we're doing is we're trying to get something from Him by checking the box, going to church. You know, you're here, right? Something bad happens to you tomorrow. God, I was in church on Sunday. Well, what do you want? Do you serve God to get stuff from him, or do you serve God to get more of him? And that's what Jesus is exposing in our hearts. Come in to the party. Come in to where the Father is present, where he's going to love you and give you grace. And, uh, and this is God's message through Malachi to his people that are wrestling with feeling like it's futile to serve God. But that's not the only thing that they're wrestling with. They not only feel like it's futile to serve God, they're also feeling like, hey, Look at verse 15. We call the arrogant blessed. And you know what? Certainly the evildoers prosper. And even those who challenge God escape. And there's this list of backwards beatitudes where these folks are starting to say, you know what? Blessed are the arrogant. And blessed are the prideful. And blessed are the promiscuous. And blessed are the greedy. And blessed are the bullies. Because they keep getting in their way. And meanwhile, those who are trying to, you know, please God and live by his rules, uh, we just seem to be left in their dust. We're getting the short end of the straw. Do you ever feel that way? Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely you do. The Father says the same thing to us. Um, Again, inviting us in to have our spiritual sanity restored. Do you know that the psalmist felt this way? David felt this way? And look at Psalm 73, or you can look it up later, whatever. But I'm going to read a couple of places in the psalm where it begins by saying, As for me, my feet had almost slipped. I nearly lost my foothold. I almost lost my spiritual sanity. For I envied the arrogant. Blessed be the arrogant, right? I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from the burdens common to man. They're not plagued by human ills. Therefore, pride is their necklace. And they clothe themselves with violence. And this is what the wicked are like. They are always carefree. They increase in wealth. Surely in vain have I kept my heart pure. 
In vain have I washed my hands in innocence. You know, you can hear Malachi's um, admonition. It's futile to serve the Lord. And then spiritual sanity is restored. This is what uh, David continues to say in Psalm 73. When I tried to understand all this, it was oppressive to me. Till I entered the sanctuary of God, and then I understood their final destiny, how suddenly they are destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. Who have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. Those who are far from you will perish, but as for me, it is good to be near God. So the father invites the older brother into the party to understand the nature of grace. God invites us also into the sanctuary to understand the worth, to to worship God, to see the worth of God. Who have I in heaven but you, Jesus? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. And I'd rather be near to you with all of this trouble and suffering and illness or whatever brokenness we're enduring. I'd rather be near to you with that than far from you and be prosperous and easygoing and have everything just so. Why? Because of the day that's coming. Because I believe, as Jesus taught us, that the the real blessed ones are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They're going to be filled, not the arrogant. Those who are blessed are those who are meek, because they're going to inherit the earth. And those who are prideful and boastful, they're not going to inherit anything. Those are the real blessed ones, those who are peacemakers, those who are embracing the values of the kingdom of God, who consider Jesus to be the supreme thing in their life, the pearl of great price, and will forego everything else if, that, if everything else comes with the price tag of arrogance, pride, wickedness, challenging God, which is ultimately the distinction that should be evident in the world. The distinction between those who challenge God and those who fear him. The distinction between the arrogant and because you know it's all about them and the humble because it's all about Jesus. And that's the distinction I want to explore here uh, as we look further at Malachi. In verse 17, God says, They will be mine. In the day when I take up my treasured possession, I will spare them, just as, as in compassion a man spares his son who serves him. And you will see again the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not. So let's talk about you know, that distinction. There, there are those who challenge God, um, those who are the arrogant, the wicked, uh, the evildoers, those who do not serve God. They're listed in lots of different, and described in lots of different ways. And what, uh, what you know, the psalmist was saying is, I understood their final destiny, and, and this is what uh, God is saying about the arrogant and the evildoers in uh, chapter 4, verse 1. They will be stubble, and that day that is coming will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. Not a root or a branch will be left to them. These are the same people that God was trying to speak to in Isaiah. Um, you know, years earlier, uh, before Malachi, God spoke through the prophet Isaiah, and he said that though grace is shown to the wicked, even though God shows his kindness to them, they do not learn righteousness. 
Even in a land of uprightness, they go on doing evil and regard not the majesty of the Lord. Oh, Lord, your hand is lifted high, but they do not see it. Let them see your zeal for your people and be put to shame. Let the fire reserved for your enemies consume them. Which, you know, we read that and we go, man, that's hard to swallow. Judgment, hell, heaven, you know, this distinction between who's going where, etc. We can't lose sight. As disciples... As those who claim to follow Jesus, we can't turn a deaf ear to our Lord's own words. His own description of his ministry. You know, John the Baptist said, and we were talking about this text a couple of weeks ago, how he baptized with water, but one was coming after him whose sandals he was unworthy to even, you know, tie the laces, who will baptize with fire. And and Jesus describes his ministry like, um, like the one who is bringing in a harvest, uh, this harvest of wheat, and you have to thresh it. And you separate the wheat from the chaff, and the wheat is brought into the storehouse. And the chaff is burned in unquenchable fire. That's the language. Now what that's going to look like on that day, I, I'm not to say. The Lord used lots of imagery in his word. All we know is it's nothing that anybody with any ounce of sanity should want to have to face. And what Jesus says is that you can, you can have a distinction in the world between two people, the wheat and the chaff. And the way to know that you will be gathered into the barn, the way that you will be considered part of that harvest that the Lord brings in, that, that wheat rather than the chaff, is to stop challenging him. To stop thinking that you are God's peer, his equal, or even his superior. To stop living life like you've got the universe figured out and you know, you know everything, how it should go. You know, our hearts are, have that, that proclivity to evil and to unbelief and thinking, I know better than God. But when we humble ourselves, confess him as God, who sent a Savior to die for my sins, to die for the ways that I've challenged him, the ways that I've been arrogant, the ways that I've been abusive, the ways that I've been promiscuous, the ways that, you know, you fill in the blank. Name the sin. God sent a Savior to help us be forgiven from all of those things so that we might respond to him who first loved us. And instead of challenging him, fear him. Love him. Consider him the greatest thing that we could ever know or have or be consumed with. And live the rest of our lives that way. You know, men and women, children, whose joy and passion is God. Look at verse 2 in chapter 4. For those of you who revere my name, the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. And you will go out and leap like calves released from the stall. Um, That language of the son of righteousness and the, this release of calves, you know, leaping, etc. The son of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. It's a picture of that day when everything sad, as Tolkien said, will come untrue. A day when there will be no more tears, no more death, no more curse, you know, for the leaves of the tree or for the healing of the nations. There will be no more things that are expressions of this world's brokenness. The son of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings on all those who have believed in the Son of God who rose from the grave with wounds in his hands. 
the wounds of love, the wounds of forgiveness, by virtue of with, you know, putting your faith in, in him and his death on the cross, our sins are forgiven so that we can know the joy and the healing that that day is going to bring. He compares it to this cow being released from its stall, right? Um, John Bennett made the expression bovine exuberance, uh, a, a namesake in our office, and love that. Um, I'm not, I'm, I don't have any history with farming or agriculture, you know, but here's, here's how I understand that. Six months ago, we brought home Charlie, and he's, he's a Cavachon. He's a King Charles Cavalier Spaniel and a Bichon Frise, which is another way of saying that a Cavachon is a mashup of just adorable cuteness. And um, so he's in his crate at night, and when we let him out uh, in the morning, uh, three things are predictable. A big yawn, a long stretch, and then after his walk, uh, the blitz, the Bichon blitz, um, where he just goes nuts, and he just... Runs, 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 scampers, and on the hardwood floor, he goes around the corner, and his back legs fall out, and it's kind of funny to watch. And he just spazzes out. He frolics. And if you can imagine a cow doing that, you know, spazzing out and freaking out for joy at being released from that which constrains it, being released from that which feels like it hems him in. And then that on that day, that's what you and I are going to feel. When's the last time you frolicked? Come on. Show of hands. Frolic. I mean, unadulterated frolic. It's been a while, hasn't it? Probably like when you were three was the last time. Why? Brothers and sisters, it does not take long. Even a three-year-old understands that, you know what? I don't want to feel shame. I don't want to feel guilt. I don't want to feel made fun of. I don't, want to be, I don't want to feel foolish. And this world is so broken. This world is so full of pain and misery and the effects of sin that we can't even frolic when we're four, much less when we're 40. And there's going to come a day when God's going to make everything new and he's going to remove shame, he's going to remove guilt, he's going to remove foolishness, he's going to remove all of the... The, the condemnation and all of the sternness and all those stares and everybody's going to be God's adopted child frolicking in his presence because of the son who laid down his life for us. God says that he spares us in compassion like a father spares his son. He's adopted us. He has compassion for us. He loved us and then He's calling us to love him back and then to bear the distinctive mark of love from one another and for the world. That the world would see the church not as, you know, a bunch of hypocrites, there go the hypocrites, but hopefully as a bunch of repenting hypocrites who are learning how to love. That's what the church should be in the world's eyes. You know, the Lord goes on and he talks about the nature of our love and how love should be this distinction in our call to worship. We, we read from Deuteronomy 10, to fear the Lord your God, to serve Him, hold fast to Him, take your oaths in His name. He is your praise. He is your God. And then listen to how the transition goes. Put God first. Who have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire beside you. And then it goes on to say, the Lord your God is God of gods, Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, it shows no partiality. 
and accepts no bribes. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the alien, giving him food and clothing. And you are to love those who are aliens, for you yourselves were aliens in Egypt. You are to love those who are fatherless, because you yourselves were without a heavenly father once upon a time. You are to love those who are widows, because you yourselves are without provision and protection before the Lord made you a part of his bride. And you are to love those who are hungry, because you yourselves were hungry and thirsty for righteousness once upon a time. Do you see how the dynamic of receiving love and giving love works? How are you going to show the Father's love for you to the fatherless? I really pray. I pray for more families at Tabernacle to adopt. You won't believe the goodness that God brings into your heart when you see that dynamic of you adopting a child and then you start to see more of the way that God loves you as his adopted child. But more than that, more than the payoff for you, think about the payoff for that child and think about the testimony that it is to a watching world that sees Christians demonstrating that there is going to be a day a day where the sun is going to rise with healing in its wings and there will be no more children who are fatherless. The word orphan won't even exist in the the lexicon for the new heavens and the new earth. Neither will hunger. Neither will widow. Neither will, you know, curse. And this is the day that we have to look forward to. Jesus said, the mark of the church is this. All men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another you love your neighbor, you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Let's ask him to help us to do that. Father, we, we need help. Um, we're, we're selfish people, and uh, we still, even though we've been made new through your spirit, uh, we wrestle with a, a sinful nature that um, inclines us toward arrogance and anger and pride, lust, greed. We need forgiveness uh, for these things, and we need you to uh, restore our sanity Remind us uh, that those things are not uh, blessed things. What is blessed is meekness and hungering and thirsting for righteousness. And ultimately, uh, we're blessed because you've loved us. And we're blessed when we love in return. Lord, uh, if anyone is here this morning doesn't understand that love, I pray you'd, you'd reveal it to them. Um, maybe even use these feeble words to do that. Um, more than anything, Father, we pray that you would remind us of how you've cared for us as your children that we would look after those uh, that don't have parents and that we would love them in your name. In Jesus' name, amen.